At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AV Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now. Researcher, writer, and therapist Daniel Rekshan materialized at the virtual Alexandria. He discusses experiences communicating with angels in an impactful and relevant way in a contemporary context. How do these beings relate to extraterrestrials? Can the Enochian language be translated in a way that brings psychic wholeness? Daniel shared his journey and insights to improve a world on the brink. From inspecting John Dee's tools at the British Museum to magical therapeutic experiments and much more. As I mentioned in the interview, Our next show is The Trickster God, or The Trickster Archetype, an incredible topic with an incredible astral guest, with a lot of Jungian ideas and even some Lovecraft for devilish fun. In June, we keep turning cosmic tricks with shows on occult and accursed America, astronosis, modern archons, the OA and other Gnostic visual art, and the mystery of consciousness, and much more too. Thank you for those who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. 
You are amazing and your support, company, and feedback help grow this blasphemy. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And consider, in these hard economic times, the Red Circle subscription, which is only $4.99 a month for all complete shows. And you can tip if you want to support. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. The Empire never ended. Neither did the Empire of Angels. Those things outside are just vessels. They're possessed. The weakest willed are the easiest to turn. Possessed by what? Demons? No. No. By angels. Some people lose their faith because heaven shows them too little. But how many people lose their faith because heaven shows them too much? Years later, of all the Gospels I learned in seminary school, a verse from St. Paul stays with me. It is perhaps the strangest passage in the Bible in which he writes, Even now in heaven there were angels carrying savage weapons. Did you ever notice how in the Bible, whenever God needed to punish someone, or make an example, or whenever God needed a killing, he sent an angel? Did you ever wonder what a creature like that must be like? A whole existence spent praising your God, but always with one wing dipped in blood. Would you ever really want to see an angel? The angels are coming for you, but listen, your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast, faster than you could believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away and don't blink. Good luck. And we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, as always, to the desert of the real. Welcome to that dream of you that shifts smoke on the horizon. As always, I am Miguel Connor, your Pompidus of Gnosis. And uh, good to see everybody's already plowing into the the comment section on youtube and facebook and that should be no surprise beyond a very cool guest the truth is that uh, john d and enochian magic continues to be an extremely engaging topic even here in the 21st century and uh, but best of all as some may wonder well why is this stuff you know, two old guys in their mirror swapping wives, speaking to angels relevant to today and our age of extraterrestrials and uh, quantum physics and advanced uh, psychological systems. Well, our guest today we're def- is definitely going to show us how it's still relevant and even more. And that is Daniel Rekshon. Daniel, thank you very much for coming to the virtual Ale- Alexandria, as I like to say. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is all ours. 
And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you doing? Not too bad for a busy Wednesday here. Looking forward to hearing what uh, Enochian wonders that we'll be uh, treated to. Indeed we shall, as always. Well, awesome. Well, again, people are starting to go into the chat room. And as always, as I will continue to repeat, if you have any questions for Vance or myself, please put as many question marks as you can. Put them in all caps. We don't mind if you're shouting at us. That way we can hopefully get to you. Super Chats will, of course, get uh, preference and will be attended to as quickly as possible. Other than that, um, no, not much housekeeping. Uh, May has been a very good month. Uh, We will end the month of May with a show on the trickster god and the trickster archetype, and it's going to be an amazing show. Find out if the trickster has anything to do with Jungian Jung Shadow, what are their commonalities, what are their parallels in different traditions, and how the trickster god is extremely important for the development of any society, and more important, how we're going to get, we need the trickster to get to survive this age of Hermes we are in today. And then next month, we got some a lot of cool shows, shows on um, consciousness, manifesting, modern archons, and a whole bunch of other uh, haunted and cursed uh, America, and of course, a lot of good fun uh, traditional Gnostic stuff. So hold on to your, hold on to your tits, because uh, summer's going to get very exciting here in the month of Janus, looking backwards and forwards. So. Why don't we start at the beginning, as I like to say, Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. As I was saying during a, before this interview, you are very prolific. You've got a really cool, you've done a lot with your life. You have a very cool resume. You're very productive with your content, your writing, you write books, a lot of YouTube. You have an app that I downloaded, uh, to help with hypnotherapy and dreams, but, uh, You've got a BA in Western Liberal Arts from St. John's in Annapolis, an MA in East-West Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies, CHT in Depth Hypnosis, and it keeps going. You just, <laughs> how did you get so prolific? How, how did you just woke up one day and said, man, I am going to, I'm going to take the high weirdness road. <laughs> well, it I, I suppose it has to do with uh, passion and things like that. Um, so even as a kid, I was very interested in dreams. Uh, I was uh, I, as a kid that really wanted a telescope. Uh, I really wanted to be an astronomer um, because I thought it would reveal the the mysteries of the cosmos, and I thought that would be really the best thing in life. So uh, I went actually to Michigan Tech for one year. I was in their honors physics department. And I realized like nobody actually knows about God uh, in there. I I would ask questions and then it's like this, the the mathematics doesn't reveal God. So I I left actually to go to uh, St. John's, um, St. John's College to study the philosophy. Um, I got a little tired of philosophy, to be honest, and all this linguistic stuff. So I, I dived into art that led me to dreams led me to uh, dreams, led me to things like astral projection work. Uh, Those actually led me to interactions with beings that uh, provided 
a lot of information and a lot of like experiences that made me realize that the world is not what we perceive um, resonating with the, the like Gnostic mythologies and things like that. And then from there, I've just been really active and inspired at various points in my life. Right now I'm, I'm very uh, putting very much putting stuff out there in the world primarily because uh, it is important now for us to navigate a transition between where we have been into a much vaster society that is literally beyond imagination. Like we can't imagine what it'll be like in the next five years. And I, I, I know it has to do with some of the revelations that might be happening. Uh, some of the power structures are dissolving and things like that. But really I want to put forward a notion that is empowering to people uh, to let them know, like, you don't have to look outside of yourself for uh, knowledge about this. You don't actually have to, rely on these systems of government to disclose information, to bring us up and into a different community that you can really tune within to, to embody this wisdom. Yeah. Well, thank you. And well said, yeah, you're, as I said, you're very prolific and I like how you're trying to translate old ideas into this new, uh, into a modern way that works. Plus, like here at Ayambite, you realize we are at a changing of an age. There are veils falling, so we need to be prepared for this stuff or it's going to melt our brains. And hopefully we don't have to have so many people have their brains melted. So it's 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 great to see what you're doing and everything else you've, you've been putting out. Um, so you would say <clears throat> we, for some reason, I'm thinking of Oswald Spengler, and he talked about the ages. Now, everybody has their own ages but he talked about how the age of uh, the Faustian is ending where people made a bargain with the devil to have as many resources to conquer as many lands to uh you know enslave as many people and it's been happening for the last thousand years John D unfortunately was part of that vibe as you yourself have said he was the one who came out with the British Empire and the New World and had that vision for Queen Elizabeth, that magical vision for Queen Elizabeth. But Spengler said it's probably going to end and we got something different. So you agree, as you've said in your videos, that we, we, we are under the trauma of being colonizers and we need to sort of heal that trauma and move to a new uh, consciousness, if you would. Yeah, that's right. Um, I would say uh, most recently our uh, like genotype have have been colonizers, but we've also been colonized by these ideas in that uh, some people hypothesize they're from, I don't know, like Anunnaki slave lords or whatever, whatever mythology you want to use around that. Uh, there are different languages I know uh, speaking about Gnosticism, but really we, we've been uh, victimized as well. And then we've become the victimizer. Um, and so that cycle really is invited to shift and that that shifting um, I see needs to happen through a sense of forgiveness, although not tolerance of these behavior, but forgiveness, acceptance of the shadow within oneself to really confront like the dark mirror, literally and truly like confront the dark mirror and see what you look like in that and go, oh, this is OK. I can still love myself and therefore I can love others. 
and we don't have to perpetuate these cycles. Um, otherwise, otherwise, I mean, it seems as if uh, the cycles will continue and be a little bit more drastic and we'll start to see these uh, heightened feedback systems from the earth in terms of climate change, uh, from the military industrial complexes in the, in the form of proliferation of heightened war. And then um, in the in the extraterrestrial contact community, which I, I serve by way of my hypnosis and dream work through literally uh, deeper colonization experiences from who knows where. Um, so it's really time for us to shift and embody this sense of unity consciousness so that we can really manifest and create a world that's kind. And that's a world that we all want to participate in. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, uh, yeah, you yourself have done Enochian magic in your book. You talk about, uh, again, all your, you, you put down the data like Jung did when he had his experience. This happened, this, and we want to get to that. But, uh, and I might be jumping a little ahead of myself, but since yesterday of this interview, the Congress had their uh, UFO hearing, or whatever they call it, UAPs or whatever nonsense word they use now. Uh, I didn't listen to it because, again, the day I trust the government is the day I become an archon uh, or whatever. So I, I just didn't. But how do you relate extraterrestrials to angels? I guess, yeah, I'm some, putting out an important question early. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before the ritual and after the ritual. So last year, uh, last fall, I did the uh, an Enochian ritual of angelic communication. My hypothesis was that John D had interactions with extraterrestrials in the guise of angels. That was my hypothesis. My hypothesis was that they were something like the slave lords in the guise of angels telling them to colonize the new world. And I thought that that was a perpetuation of that cycle. That was the hypothesis I was working under. I said, you know what, I'll do the ritual. I'll have an interaction with those beings, see what they are. <laughs> like It was a little terrifying to think I could, I, I might be interacting with them, but I, I realized that I was a sovereign individual and I didn't have to be in fear of them, that sort of thing. So again, a sense of confrontation of the dark mirror. Um, in my experience, the difference, I, I mean, angels literally showed up, it felt like, uh, in terms of frequency, it's a frequency of consciousness, as opposed to uh, beautiful people in wings, uh, sort of sort of understanding of angels. And those are a sort of frequency that um, it, it made sense to me. They introduced me to different extraterrestrial beings or visions, let's say. Um, and it really did surprise me in the ritual that they were different. Um, and that's why I, I actually cite them. I, I say celestial beings are the co-author of the Book of Galactic Light, which is mm -hmm. the transcript, um, primarily because of the presence of this angelic frequency. Um, and again, it's a wide, wide, wide world. When we talk about extraterrestrials, we are talking about uh, physical beings similar to us on other planets. We're talking about uh conscious higher level consciousness we're talking about beings that span different timelines and it's, it's a whole a whole variety of things but really the the sense is like the the container that holds all of it is conscious in specific ways and that consciousness of that container might be understood to be angelic in nature no that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and yeah it's a, as i say it's a busy universe out there uh, so, yeah, you can't just uh, be reductionistic, which playing into the hands of the powers that be, there's 
different levels out there and it's uh it's a complicated relationship but it should be uh so tell us how did you uh meet the legend the myth the history of john d and edward kelly how did you uh, get into that yeah i was um i was in california institute of integral studies i was studying east-west psychology which is really like one of the programs uh of psychology that looks to global psychology. There's a lot of sh shamanism. There's a lot of esoteric stuff in there. And I realized, and it's an academic program. So I said, you know, I want to practice with people. How am I going to practice with people? Well, it's through hypnotherapy. I really, and that's where I got trained in the depth hypnosis so I can practice with people. Um, at the same time, I don't even know how I learned about John D. Um, but I realized that his interaction with Edward Kelly and John D. So John D. was the, they call him the magical operator. Edward Kelly is the scryer. So he's looking in the mirror. They're both in a trance state, but uh, D. is kind of driving the show through uh, uh, questions, question and answers. And it read to me exactly like a hypnosis transcript. And I thought, oh, he's a proto-hypnotist. He's a first hypnotist ever. So I started... Uh, studying his work, um, and I did so in a really uh, kind of interesting way. Um, my advisor at CIIS is Dr. Craig Chalquist, who put forward a methodology called the Terra Psychological Inquiry Methodology, which is a mouthful to say the Earth herself is conscious. And if we tune in to the patterns of the Earth, and if we tune in to folklore and synchronicity and omens, we can start to inquire about specific topics much in the same way we might incubate a dream to provide insight or creative uh, problem solving. So I did that. I was like, I, I want to work with John D stuff. I want to learn what it means to be in contact with these. I thought they, again, extraterrestrial beings through this psychic pattern. So I went to Mortlake, I went to Krakow to sort of walk in the feet of John Dee, to look mm -hmm. through his magic mirror at the British Museum. Um, and then I got I got back from there. I, I experienced a mysterious infection in my arm that freaked me out, actually. Um, and I, I they, they couldn't explain it. The doctors couldn't explain it. And it was literally, um, they, they cut it open. Uh, and in strange ways, um, and found ancient congealed infected blood, not pus. They thought it was pus, but they were like, what, what happened? How did this happen? And so um, from there, I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk to my mentor in uh, core shamanism. So shamanic drumming, she's a, a Mexican faith healer as well. And so I said, I think I opened a portal in this investigation. I really am not in a state of mind to handle blood infection right now. Could we do wow. something to close down these portals? Um, and I, and we did. I didn't think about it for six more years, seven more years, until I started practicing hypnotherapy and service to extraterrestrial contact, at which point in time, there were overwhelming synchronicities and messages to start looking into the work of John D as it's um, relevant here and now today. Um, and, and that's where the story continues. And that's where the Book of Galactic Light comes right out of is, is in that considering of uh, our historical moment here and now and ET contact. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, how was it uh, being at the British Museum and, Museum and seeing these tools at John D? Was that uh, just amazing or how did you feel? Well, I mean, it's, it's like interesting. Uh, I, I tried sensing into it. Um, I kept records, actually, and it was sort of 
Um, anticlimactic, honestly, is sort of like, oh, wow, it's like smaller than I expected. Uh, the, the wax seals are broken. They're kind of incomplete. Uh, I kind of really wanted to see something through the mirror in a magical way. Really nothing, nothing super happened. I, I continued my journey. <laughs> like, you didn't turn into Shazam or anything like in no. a Marvel movie. No, no nothing like Moon that. Moon Knight. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. And, but you also talk about, you also went to Auschwitz. That must've been some intense energy there, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Super intense energy. I mean, that whole trip was sort of this confrontation of the land of my blood, right? It's like, it's Eastern mm -hmm. Europe, uh, England, Hungary, Scotland, Russia. It's just like, what's going on? Let's just vibe into it. And a lot of it had to do with this genocidal colonialistic history like that's just our history we have to deal with it and it was really painful actually to come back and relate to relate to that and sort of it was a existential crisis let's say um, yeah 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 well i'm sure when you came back it's like yeah europe was a colonizer but america is like the weaponized ultimate yeah. aspect of the you know the empire that has pure power control over every aspect of this globe so oh well it's good to, re it's good to recognize that the empire never ended as uh, philip k dig but it just gets yeah. more powerful it seems i don't want the next yeah we don't want the next version of the empire let's put it that way yeah. and uh you you talk about you do hypnotherapy for extraterrestrial encounter how does that work are you teaching people to open their channels to receive these communications or maybe they forgot about them i mean i'm sure these beings i'm sure a lot of them are tricksters and they can make us forget that we even encounter them because that's how they they roll when they feel like it so what do you do with clients yeah so uh my primary focus is the missing time phenomenon so this is something like you might have had a ufo sighting uh, you go outside, you feel called to go outside, you look at the sky, oh, wow, something's moving. You come back, you go to sleep, uh, and then the next day you, you start comparing notes with your partner or whatever, and they're like, you were gone for like three hours. Where'd you go? And you're like, I wasn't gone. Uh, and so that, that sort of thing is like, what happened in that time? And they, they call it missing time because it's, it's missing from your consciousness. Um, this also shows up uh, in a similar phenomenon in dreams. So uh, uh, oftentimes people will have something like a highly strange activity. And we know that uh, ET contact is highly strange and that's why it's hard to talk about <laughs> because like physics laws don't work the same. Your mind, you, you behave in a crazy way. Like you just do crazy things. Um, and, uh, and so you, the mind goes, oh, okay, this highly strange event is highly strange. And dreams are highly bizarre. And we know dreams are highly bizarre. Like when you wake people up from REM, it's like they, they report the same exact type of phenomena as you experience in the uh, ET contact phenomena. And so they think of it as a dream. It's maybe dreamlike in nature. And so they're, they need some help to understand those intuitions, uh, understand that the memory. My understanding here is that the body and the mind and the higher self really do understand what's going on. And then it's only the process of conscious recognition 
of what has happened that needs assistance. So the Harvard psychiatrist, Dr. John Mack, who pioneered a lot of the work with hypnosis in a a good way. Um, There were other hypnotists before him, but he was really a a well-respected hypnotist, psychiatrist actually, who was commissioned by the US government to look into the sanity of pilots. He says like, he introduced a term called ontological shock, meaning that when you relate to these things, is ontologically shocking because it it reveals to you, wow, we're not alone in the universe. Wow, we've been lied to by the empire for our entire lives. Wow, (laughs) there's a lot to process. And so the mind goes, oh, it's just a dream. Don't worry, that sort of thing. Um, People do ascribe a kind of trickster nature to them. They are trickster, actually, especially with the uh, physicalized phenomena. Most of the time there is a trickster element. But um, and they, they ascribe, some people ascribe like mind control to these beings. Um, in my own understanding, it's the, the ontological shock is a sufficient mechanism to explain the repression of memory and the inability to integrate. And so what I do is a little bit of education through conversation and then use hypnosis to kind of invoke an intentional dreamlike experience where you are relating to the subconscious and the conscious mind at the same time and start to build a rapport and start to build a language about that. So then people go, oh, I actually had an experience. It's okay. I'm not freaked out about it. Um, Yeah. And they come to you because they've had an experience or they assume they might have had an experience Mm. or why would a client come to you? I mean, I've had two experiences in my life and they were pretty open, but I might still go to you just to make sure every, you know, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed between my unconscious and my memory and all that. But why do people come to you? Yeah, it's a variety of reasons. Um, there's a few, there's a few reasons related specifically to the phenomena. One is um, if you are repressing some of the experiences, there's also a kind of uh, coincidental experience where you are psychically gifted generally. If you're having half memories of ET contact, there's some level there. And so you're not actually fully embodied in the way that your soul yearns to be, right? If you're, if you have these gifts, if you have these capacities, if you know you're not just your like meat suit, right? You, you, you go, okay, I want a much deeper life. How do I get there? And, and some of that is involving shifting of the consciousness to accommodate that worldview. So they're suffering and they go, oh, I think I can release that suffering by integrating these memories of experiences, Um, They're often haunting experiences. Uh, It's often strange um, people. So what's been happening recently is the UAP disclosure stuff. They go, oh, wow, the U.S. government is saying it's real. Maybe that weird dream I had 20 years ago is something I kind of want to look into it. I'm kind of lost. This guy, Daniel, seems to know what he's talking about. He claims to be an experiencer, so maybe he'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, and so they reach out to me and, and start working there. Um, so that's just one of the ways. Uh, some people are, are like investigating and, and trying to dot the I's and, and get the memories. Yeah. And most people I find is really is, is actually very much a condition of suffering uh, that they want released um, because of the immense dissonance between the reality of their contact experience. Wow, we're not just their body. Wow, there's ETs. Wow, there's angels. Because these all sort of show up together. Um, and the other thing, too, is like sometimes the phenomena really does take people. 
like like the, like dreams, right? Unless you're if, uh, if you're if you're not getting the message from dreams, they'll heighten up the dreamlike experience, make it really intense. You get really shaken up. It feels like recurrent nightmares. But you need to start listening. And so some people have these like heightened paranormal like possession type. I don't know, a bizarre complex of phenomena that show up. And then we we work to release that and and to start to bring a sense of control through conscious integration of these experiences. So it, it gets lessened and more intentional. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Love what you're doing. And like you said, uh, with all the disclosures and people having visions, yeah, we need, we certainly need more of that. And uh, looping back to about the angels or the extraterrestrials, would you say that they are moral, beyond moral, immoral? Are they archons? I mean, I know, for example, when John D and uh, Kelly were talking to the angels, the angels would be kind of assholes to them. But they said, "You humans are ridiculous. You screw up everything. We, uh, you know, we can help you. We are, after all, a million times more powerful. You're just a disaster." But I don't. Yeah, the angels are right about humans. But what would you say the angels are when it comes to? Are they here to help? Yeah, I would say they are here to help, but that we really need to understand what they are helping. Um, right? like, what are They're they going to give me a new Tesla. And uh, yeah. I know a lot of people in the chat are talking about Kate Beckinsale. So she, you're not, they're not going to get me Kate Beckinsale events or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> you're on mute, Ben. <laughs> oh, I oh. <laughs> I'm not on mute now, am I? No, no, we can hear you. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you want Kate Beckinsale, too? I mean, <laughs> I had to look Who her does? up. Yeah, you. yeah, I'll sell my soul for that. It <laughs> seems like it. The, the vampire version, too. Uh, that's my favorite. But anyway, sorry, Daniel, for the interruption. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, you, you're asking about the morality of the angels, if they're moral or not. Um, one of my own personal experiences uh, was intuition. I uh, when I ran my uh, I did a study group. So I was like, oh, I have to do this ritual. And it, it appears that I need to have uh, enough stuff in my mind to actually be able to do it. So I spent nine weeks with about 12, 12 people studying the works of John D and other things. All this information is in the book of Galactic Light, what we did. But I said, hey, you have to be prepared for experiences like fear of God, sort of angelic, like rock your socks sort of experience. And uh, that actually is a sort of ontological shock experience. Um, But the thing that I got to through the understanding of the angels is they've interacted with us through all of the parallel realities, all of our past, all of our future. Um, If you believe in reincarnation, we've had like 600 lives on Earth or whatever is what they say. Some, Some people do. So these angels know you in all these different aspects. And they're actually, you know, the thing that the angels said to me is that they are me in some way, they are you. And so, but you're at such a different, um, such a different level when you're dealing with a soul level than the human level. And we can, we can ground this back into the past life discussion, the past life regression discussion. And one of the, one of the therapeutic advantage of a past life regression is you can go and get a different perspective about your experiences of being a victim or a victimizer. Like it's like, you know, literally people will flip flop between lifetimes who gets to murder who until they work out whatever they need to work out. And the deeper soul goes, this is great fun. 
And so the angels are, are supporting that deeper reality of, of individual expression rather than necessarily my own egoic perception of who Daniel is and what would be good for him. I always say like, like John D I'd love a pile of cash, please. Um, and they're always like, well, here's the Anakian language that can control the multiverse. So there you go. And I go, well, it would be much easier if you just gave me some cash, please. <laughs> I still don't have the cash. Um, oh, so. well, maybe they're, they're trying to figure out their Venmo uh, app or something yeah. like that up in heaven. Who knows? Uh, At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, and uh, another question I had for you, and I don't know if it's in your book, uh, The Book of Galactic Light, but you t- or is it on YouTube? Again, I've been consuming all, everything you've done in the last three days, which I really enjoyed. But is a theory that crop circles aren't created by extraterrestrials, but they actually come from below? It's the Earth communicating to us. What a that's a badass idea, there, Daniel. Well, I have to credit my uncle Jim, who's been a great force in my life. I invited, so I was like, oh God, we're going to, uh, like through this working or through this investigation, we may actually do some really incredible stuff. Uh, I spent a summer living in Lilydale, New York, the home of uh, spiritualist uh, spiritualism, basically there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really close by, but he never made it to participate in a seance or anything. So he's like, next time you do something like that, bring, bring me in. And so I reached out to him and he's just just like, well, what if they come from the ground? Um, and I thought that was a wonderful theory. Um, and actually it consistently. So one of the things I did doing the, during the ritual working was I had two shortwave radios going, and this is a, uh, a practice of CE five. So close encounters of the fifth kind in t- intentional contact with aliens, ETs, um, one of the ways that we receive contact is putting two shortwave radios out. If one of them that are identical, if one of them goes off and the other doesn't, something fishy ha- is happening that is generally attributed to ET intervention or whoever's responding. Um, <clears throat> they they really clicked a lot uh, in a few times. Uh, so they they kind of punctuated the visionary experience. But after the visionary experiences, a few times they would talk to me. <laughs> They would talk to me through clicks, like click, 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 and be like, are you guys here? And they go click, 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 click. I'd be like, what is yes? And they'd be like, click. And then it would be like, what is no? Click, click. And what is other? And they wouldn't. And, and so we developed this language and it was a, it's a really frustrating way of communication, to be honest. Uh, I just, but the, I got overwhelming confirmation that uh, there were like the subterranean, the Agarthin, the sort of under Mount Shasta sort of mythologies really yeah. active. Um, I, re- I recently rewatched that video um, and I was just like, I, I saw myself be so frustrated by the communication, but there was a, a, actually a consistent theme in there. So that's a further domain of exploration of um, as opposed to looking up for UFOs in the sky, really tuning down into the earth and into the body of the earth. 
Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, as we've mentioned in this show, 90% of the ocean is uh, unexplored. They might be there with Cthulhu and, you know, the Shoggoths and all those guys. Who knows? Uh, We'll have to see. Uh, Well, we want to get to an audience question, but and also maybe you can share about your Enochian experiments. But I just had a curiosity, and again, you do a great job of talking about the history of uh, Edward and um, John Edward and Dr. John D., but and you you also you cite some very good books and past guests, guests like Lon Milo Duquette, his book uh, on Enochian magic, and of course Jason Louv, Empire of Angels, which is the latest and a very good book. I don't know where Jason is. He's gotten very silent in social media and his blogs and interviews. Hope he's okay. Uh, great guy. I love hearing what he has to say. But anyway, what? How did uh, uh, John? D get interested in this occult stuff or how did he come up with a system i mean because even his glass that was like from the aztecs i yep. believe it was from mesoamerica yeah i mean there's two stories he, he had like a an orb that supposedly uriel gave him um but also the the actual the actual magic mirror in the british museum um interestingly enough uh right as i did the John D. study group, uh, a group of scholars put out an article saying, hey, we did find where is that is literally probably the eye of uh, uh, in a mural of a divinatory uh, deity. So they have a, a mural mural of a divinatory deity. Literally, it's probably like hanging in the eye and there was some sort of ritual experience around that. So that's another interesting bit of information there. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, I think John D. got into... Uh, uh, occult stuff uh, primarily because of his overwhelming uh, desire to learn. I mean, he he had a book uh, library of 4,000 compared to Oxford uh, at the time was 300 books. So, uh, you know, and it was part of the, it was part of the ethos or mythos of the world there. You could really, I mean, if you look to some of the understandings that coming before him, like Paracelsus and, and things like that, there's, there's this understanding that there's this whole cosmology a, a vast world of, of inhabited world that you can just tune into. There's also this notion of like hierarchy of angels and things like that. So it's like one of the ways to communicate. The, oh, the stenographia too, that book, um, which it, it puts out how to, how to do uh, spy work or like communicate telepathically or mm-hmm. like telegram through angel workings or whatever that was present too in the uh, situation. So it, it seems like it seemed uh, like it made sense. Um, John D. Edward Kelly, they received the Anakian magical system through their visionary experience. So uh, they, they, they had a practice already going. They had a bunch of books in the library, his library that had a lot of the components, actually, like the, the um, seal of God that the magic mirror sits on. All, all of these things were sort of already there. And then the angels said, hey, Use this. Uh, they they give them the elemental tables in Krakow, which are it's just sort of like it, it's almost gibberish, right? Like it's just a bunch <laughs> of different letter, letters. It's hard to make sense of, and then they then they then they had this really strange revelation of how to interpret those uh, those tables of letters. Um, so that's how he got the Enochian magic. There's not a lot of records of him actually like practicing the Enochian magic as like we've received it like I've done or like Crowley did in the vision and the voice or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting part too. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And yes, uh, uh, a little pause here for the audience. Of course, this interview will be, I will put out an audio version in the next 24, 48 hours, all podcast providers. This video, of course, will, there will be a replay unless YouTube strikes it down, which sometimes they do or something weird happens because these are the algorithm days and we are talking naughty woo-woo stuff. So you never know. But even then, you can find it on Rockfin or Odyssey. I also put a video version there just in case YouTube gets weird. But uh, in this golden age of podcasting, it's nice to see that Apple, Spotify, they don't care. They just they love all this kind of stuff, and they don't censor. But anyway, a little uh, uh, information there. So now we move to Vance. Unless you're busy with a Kate Beckinsale uh, summoning ritual, any questions from you or the audience? <laughs> <laughs> no, she gained weight and ran away. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so you don't want her to sit on you. Um, yeah, um, Brad Church was wondering. Uh, he's been thinking of attempting the Abramelin ritual, and have you tried it? Daniel. No, no, I haven't. Actually, this is my first foray into any magical practice is the is the Anakian working. I've done I've done sort of new age stuff like astrology or manifestation, but I haven't I haven't tried any other kind of ceremonial or ritual magic. Um okay. I would say I would say personally, follow your follow your passion. Follow follow where you're interested. You are the magician that is capable of doing these things. Um, and if, if you don't feel that capable, you can reach out back to those spirits and they will respond. So, and that one so. takes like six months dedicated work. Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah. We, we have to be prepared. Yeah. It's a long and arduous. Most of that, us don't have the PTO to do. <laughs> they had more time back in those days. You know, they weren't sitting in front of TV, you know, binge watching something on Netflix. <laughs> well, Freighter RC has another question, which is uh, where in these diaries, um, uh, or where is the source that leads you to consider D himself was in a trance state? Did you say D was in trance state? I thought you said um, Edward Kelly was, but was yeah, D in a trance state? Yeah, I assume so, primarily because of the ritual of purifications he would do, like he would do bathing and prayer. Um, and so I as, I understand uh, trance to be something like intentional relaxation. Um, and so th there can be all sorts of exotic versions of that, all sorts of like shamanic drumming or, or medicines or whatever. Um, but what one specific line I keep coming back to is when uh, Dee is talking to uh, one of the angels and they're, they're talking about Edward Kelly. And, and he says, because we're of one mind, because we're of one mind. And I have a feeling that uh, like there was some sort of telepathic communion between the two, which is yeah. an experience that I have in hypnotic trance, where it's like I'm almost seeing what they're seeing. And so there's almost one sort of mind experience. It's, it's not really well. I mean, this is just a, just an intuition or a feeling around it. Um, right. Yeah. And um, speaking of trance, um, B. Strutt wanted to know what's the difference between hypnosis and trance, if any. Yeah. So hypnosis is a, is a weird, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's sort of like an invented uh, type of experience. Uh, the definitions of uh, hypnosis um, sometimes are self-referential. So if, 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 if you use the word hypnosis, then and you're inviting that trance state, then it is uh, hypnosis. Um, some people use the term self-hypnosis, um, and this is really a process of inviting a 
trance through mindful relaxation and then having some sort of understanding that there is a correspondence or a connection between the subconscious and conscious mind and that there can be a uh, communication and things like that. Um, I would say, I mean, I would say it's more um, semantic than anything in terms of the difference between hypnosis and, and trance. Yeah, I think so too. Years ago, I did something called Silva Mind Control, and I think it's still around. And they actually train people to go into what they call the alpha state. You know, there's mm. the alpha, the beta, theta waves, and so forth, dealing with the general frequency of brain waves. So I, I considered that kind of a, a trance. Well, they didn't call it that, but. Yeah. How did you do it? How did you get into the states? Um, it was pretty much traditional relaxation techniques. You know, um, I don't remember exactly because I've done other ones since then. But you know, it's uh, you know being aware of your body and uh, getting rid of the tensions here and there, and you know, rel relaxing from the bottom up, higher and higher. So hope that wasn't. Uh, uh, oh, Satira says that she just saw um, some new guy doing Silva techniques. Yeah, it was good. And then uh, what we did was we actually did cases where there were these cases on the cards where the one person, your partner, would read the case and they said, all right, you know, go into your alpha state and, and uh, see what you can see. You know, the person's name is blah, 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 and he's so many years old. And then you would, um, you would try to see what the problem was, what health problem was of his. So it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I flunked out the first one. I got totally wrong. And I made this big, long explanation. But then the, then the guy uh, pulled up the next card. And he said, what? It turned out that it was the guy in the second card that I had read and seen. It was exact. Like, can <laughs> everything get anything right? It was an interesting yeah. experience. Yes, indeed. Any other questions? Or do you have a question, Vince? Um, that, that's pretty much clear. I was wondering, uh, you know, I, um, from past shows we've done on, on, uh, John D and his friend Edward there, um, they didn't, they didn't fare well, you know, as the years went on, uh, did you much know much about the history and what do you think about the fact that for all this contact with the angelics, it doesn't seem like the angelics took very good care of them in the end. They didn't get a Tesla or a <laughs> no. sell at the end. Yeah. I think, well, yeah. Edward Kelly, didn't he end up in jail? Didn't he, Daniel? Or? Yeah, he ended up in jail, and then he uh, he, he died, I, I believe, in some sort of escape attempt, something like that. Um, he actually, fair, he, I mean, he became a Knight of the like Holy Joseph Roman Smith. Empire. <laughs> yeah. so, he became what? I'm sorry? A Knight of the Holy Roman Empire. So, uh, he's, I mean, we. I, I understand we've, uh, from the... Anglican point of view or the English point of view, we have go, oh, Edward Kelly is a sort of counterfeit sort of uh, rogue who, who may have duped everyone. But there is a sense of like he was an alchemist of his own right, that sort of thing. And he he rose to like, uh, it seems like almost greater stature than John D on the continent. So that's important to know. But he did. They, yes, they did. They did both die not as we would say uh with wealth or whatever um or, or in good ways but, comfort <laughs> yeah um but again it's important to understand right like these beings right it, even the, the angels or if they are extraterrestrial likely have sort of like time travel capabilities they're they're like here they're everywhere that sort of thing so their perspective is wildly different from from ours um and uh, I, who, who knows uh, to say if it was good or bad. Um, they might say they might say different. There's a part of me that fantasizes a little bit about the 
there's a period of time in D's life. It's like, I don't know, the last bit where um, all of his records have been burnt of that. Um, and he's like, he's like this, I don't know, like warden of a church for a while. And it seems like oh, everyone's like, oh, he's so poor. He's so poor. Like poor John D. No one respects him. But I, part, part of me thinks like maybe he had a good time, like just sort of being there, sort of being at peace. I, I don't know if there's any historical value to that uh, fantasy, but uh, I, I, that kind of gives me comfort sometimes. Of course, he's very instrumental with Queen Elizabeth, right, and uh, establishing the British Empire, going around finding the intelligence, the first spy, right? He was a really good spy. So maybe the um, magical thing was his cover story. You know, that was his cover. <laughs> he'd go in the, into somebody into the German court or the French court, and he'd like, oh yes, I'm a magic, and I'll do this and that, and then, and then before you know it, like he's you know talking to people on the side. Maybe that was uh, <laughs> where he got his intelligence. And then after, yeah, and after uh, John passed, and well, we know what happened. England became this uh, the next uh, the next empire, uh, really one of the most powerful empires ever until the United States came along. But his uh, stuff and magical contribution, of course, it was the Age of Enlightenment, kind of got shunted aside, right? Kind of got hidden. It was it Crowley who resurrected him and brought him back to attention, or what happened then? <laughs> a lot of his work was like buried in a pie tin or something until, uh, oh no, wait, it was buried in the bottom of a chest. Someone found it and then supposedly the maid burned uh, half of it in, in, in pie tins, whatever. Um, after that, um, I believe like Merrick Kospan wrote a really kind of like uh, cautionary tale about them, the true and faithful relation. Um, and then uh, from there, I don't know what what happens next, but we've got uh, the the Order of the Golden Dawn drawing on some of that stuff for the Enochian rituals they put forth. That's where Crowley got really inspired from, uh, and then he did his own working um, that became the Vision and the Voice. Um, from there, we we have a kind of a little bit more of a pro proliferation of knowledge about D in the this the last century and this century. Although when I was researching it 10 years ago, it's a wildly different experience than re-researching it now. Um, and I would say there's an exponential sort of interest in the life of the, um, just just on the rise, basically. Yeah, yeah. More popular than ever in occult circles and every circle. So yeah. I think the part that I love the most is uh, when it talks to the angel about the daughter of fortitude, and it's just this beautiful kind of uh, erotology. And you, when you look at the Nag Hammadi Library's Thunder the Perfect Mind, they're almost the same text. And nobody had seen Thunder the Perfect mm. Mind, which was written, you know, 2,000 years ago, until it was unearthed in the Nag Hammadi Library in 1945. There's no way that John D. or anybody in this world would have seen it or had a copy or anything. So... That's an eerie parallel. You have this goddess type speaking through the other side in both texts. So, and I mean, uh, many occultists have drawn the parallel. Uh, I actually have an article about how Barbalo and Babylon are very similar beings or goddesses with two traditions that never really, you know, communicated. So, interesting. Uh, well, data here. I'm just putting out. Yeah. So awesome. Um, well, why don't we talk about some of your um, some of your workings, if you don't mind, Daniel? 
how did you go about? I mean, again, you're very uh, transparent in your book and your videos. You talk all uh, all about them. You've got uh, the celestial ritual, the call of the Aethers text. Tell us how did these go about? Uh, yeah, tell us all about them if you can. Oh yeah, so uh, you know, I got really inspired to do that ritual. I, I did I did my own uh, hypnosis regression and went to a practitioner to help me make sense of this. I put that on the internet. Um, one of the inspirations I have is to be extremely transparent with all of these things, primarily because I am not an initiate in any secret order, um, primarily because the closest I've gotten to initiations into those orders is like through Vajrayana Buddhist practice. Uh, and that was actually problematic for culture, culturally pro problematic for me. And there was also like me too issues. So I said, you know what, after all of this, like, let's be open and transparent. I think now is really the time to do it. Um, and I don't have anything to lose. I'm not going to get kicked out of an order. So I thought, let's, let's just put it out. Um, I will share my information as transparently as I can, because it's helpful to have dialogue with people and receive that communication. I have found that nobody actually gets into this material in a way that's dangerous to them because it's so esoteric and weird. They just don't care. Like they, they're not doing the magic. And if they, if they are doing magic for self-serving purposes, there's, there's feedback from the world. So uh, it's really a lot of the taboo and the causes of the taboo really need to be shifted because we're actually moving into a magical age as opposed to an age of control and constriction. Um, that said, I got into it by uh, doing the John D. study group. I did look to a lot of the people like uh, Duquette in his Anakian vision magic to explain what, what I might actually do. Um, I made uh, ritual furniture generally according to the specifications put out in Duquette's book, or else through uh, Terry Burns and Alan Moore's uh, instructions, they they really wrote beautiful papers that help guide guide me through magical blinds and things like that. Um, I constructed everything like an artist, uh, so I used instead of gold, I used uh, like gold paint, um, that kind of thing. Um, and and then I I decided, you know what? Every uh, I had a kind of inspiration to do it by the solstice. I realized I had to do the whole working within 30 days. So I ended up doing um, calls one through 19 uh, every day. So you'll see 40 minutes of me chanting in Anakian. Then I do the call of the Aethers uh, one per day. Um, and then I record what I saw in the experience. My own conviction to myself was just to do the chanting. I didn't know what would happen during the, the scrying session. It was my first uh, legitimate. I mean, I tried doing crystal ball stuff in the past just to be like, oh, I wonder what happens. Nothing really <laughs> happened. Um, but this was really, really, really different. Um, I really, I mean, it was an insistent visionary experience. I wasn't seeing stuff in the mirror like you physically see. Um, it was, it happened in a kind of dreamlike uh, state that I'm very familiar with in the, the hypnosis experience. And so I sort of allowed myself to express what I was seeing, feeling, describing, um, and that continued for 30 days. Um, there were events in and out of the ritual that really made me feel there's something real happening here. Took a while to go, okay, yeah, maybe there was angelic communication because I mean, I mean, it's so bizarre. Uh, it's, and then I, 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 and in the working of the transcripts, really, I was like, I put together 400 pages of this stuff. It's relatively coherent. Like, I, I mean, uh, the editing process was very easy. So I thought, you know, there's, there's really something, something to it. Um, 
So yeah, that was pretty much the working. Um, and now I'm sharing it primarily as a, an inspiration for other people to tune into their own experiences. One of my, um, one of my trigger points actually was, uh, in, it was because of the ET contact experience, this fear of colonialization from external forces. And it's put out by a man named Marshall Vian Summers. Some of you might be familiar with him. He's channeled an angelic, uh, angelic, uh, assembly to provide this sort of um fear fear of colonization narrative and i thought you know what people need to know that they can actually contact angels themselves that they can uh in in the narrative that is put forward by any channeled or magical ritual right scrying and magical means of perception are not actually means of knowledge so much as they are ontologically significant right the perception of something shifts the nature of reality. We know this from the double slit light experiment, the observer principle. And so in some way, shape or form, these channelings that are based in fear and uh, unprocessed colonial woundings will create that situation. And therefore people need to know there's another alternative to channel new knowledge that may be contradictory to this other channel material, but guess what? It's coming through you. That's what's really important. And so I say, you know, that's why I'm sharing the this this whole thing, because it's bizarre and this is my way of doing it. But I, I want other people to do their own way of, of communicating so that it, it's really empowered. And there's a, a diversity of beautiful things happening in this world, because that's what I think will happen when we all do this. It's the allies, uh, allies of humanity by Marshall Summers, right? Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they had all those weird YouTube. See, he doesn't do those anymore. They had the 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 I called her the alien super chick. They'd have like the planet in back of her, and she'd be there, and some sort of weird. Um, huh. uh, he, it was him, you know, in his writings, but through some sort of artificial speech that made the made the the girl's mouth move, and it was almost realistic. But gotcha. it didn't say very much. I don't know if you've ever watched them, but it, I watched probably about eighteen chapters of it, and it didn't say very much. Uh, about it. Hey, you ever do the psychomantium? You know, the dark, the mirror in the dark room and everything. I think Robert Monroe um, uh, used to talk about that. Yeah, so I have I have dimmed the lights, and that was actually a practice around the time I uh, really tuned into dream work and astral projection. I had a practice of staring at a mirror in dark light and seeing the the actual transformation of the perception of the face. It was uh, kind of an existential experience because it's bizarre. It's like it's like hard to relate to, um, and so I use that as a practice to relate to the darker aspects of my own nightmares and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you were talking, Vance. Uh, I just saw Grandpong come in, a past guest, my friend. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's asking a question. Yeah, you ignore my emails and phone calls, but yeah, you jump in for a question, Grandpong. What's up with that, <laughs> man? <laughs> Men, friends. Anyway, uh, what do you think of that question? Do you see it there, uh, Daniel? I do, yeah. The correlation between the Anakian angels and recent channeling like uh, like Ra or Seth. Um, I can speak on the law of one channelings because I've read that uh, material. Um, I, I, I feel, I feel in my personal experience, like the, in the, in my working of, of this. So my relations with the so-called Anakian angels, they use the term density and they use a lot of the framework from the law of one. And I think pr primarily because I've actually read the law of one, they were like, this is good. This is good, good tools to work with. Um, I, I would suspect actually that each person who does a Enochian working will have 
a kind of combination or a hybrid experience between their own understanding, like what John Dee did, right? They said, go to this book, even though you've lost it in your library, check over here in this shelf, you'll find it, go to the whatever mm -hmm. page, use that. Um, so they're very uh, pragmatic in that way. Um, and so in that way, they use law of one notions for me. I, I suspect if you've read it and you, you do these workings, they might use that because it, it does seem to be a, an effective way of thinking about these things, primarily in terms of um, I found the densities of experience. Um, yeah. Very cool. Sorry if I jumped in there, Vance, but I saw. No, I saw old, old Graham. Make yourself at home. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it seems yeah, everybody's talking about yeah, cool questions, but a lot of people are talking about chicks too for some reason. Yeah, you know, uh, it I must be something I'm, in the air. It must be mating season or full moon or something. I know, I know. <laughs> the um, one of our uh, uh, wonderful guests wants to know if they can have sex with an angel. I, I'd say no because they don't have any entries and exits to uh work with but uh, yeah but i mean that, uh, sex with uh spiritual beings familiars that's that's a long tradition maja yeah, yeah. who has written books about it yeah i mean yeah you can get some good action from the spirit realm but it, of course it's going to cost you but it's uh, <laughs> it was pretty common in ancient times and of course you got sukubus incubus all those guys yes yeah. But not in angels, Always. I don't think, right? Uh, angels traditionally are um, androgynous. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about angels. They're portrayed like kind of feminine, but they're kind of androgynous, I think. That's just well, it's, it's different. I mean, I know it's popular, and we all see it on the internet with the eyes and the circles. And all <laughs> I'd that. run away. <laughs> but the truth is they also could look like humans. The two angels in Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. were walking around like, hey, you know, and obviously they turned on the population because uh, they wanted to jump them. But uh, they can look human to, to worse. They can do whatever Only they males, want. I think, though. I don't think there was ever a record of female angels and angels appearing as females mm. that may be a judaic uh thing you know yeah because remember jason was talking about in uh the norse have the valkyrie but the the persians had the dana the female angels they were all female they're the ones who guided you to the other world they were your higher self they were very much like the gnostic angel or daemon so in persian lords a female well, they have the wings, or, or they were just because angels, angels, aliens, goddesses, you know, demons, you know, they're they're all kind of you can go back and forth, right, between them. But I always think of angels the traditional with e two things: either the ones with wings or the ones with millions of eyes all over. <laughs> and there you have it, the first part of our electric chat with Daniel Rexon. More John D. Light in our second part. So please become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full angelic language and to support this Red Pill cafeteria. It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever in this Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. This is our time, we high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real.
Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.